to Imagine Me and Utena, a revolutionary girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda, I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I'm doing pretty well, actually. Today, we are here to do an episode on a pretty broad topic. It's uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena and Race. And here to help us talk about that are our friends, Purpled. How you doing, Purpled? Hello. I'm doing good. You? I'm doing great. And we also have Friar Loki. How are you doing, Loki? I'm good. Purpled, people will remember you from an episode that, uh, as of recording, is not out yet. But by the time this is out, it will have been our jury manga chapter episode. So we've already gone over your history with the show and your favorite character. But Loki, this is your first time on the show. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with Revolutionary Girl Utena? And your favorite character, of course. (laughs) Well, we'll get to that afterwards. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) One at a time. Um, uh, I am an old Taku, so I have two experiences that are similar but different with Revolutionary Girl Utna. Uh, I first watched it when I was like 14 in the 90s when it came out. And, uh, back then we didn't have, we barely had DVDs, really. Mostly everything was VHS tapes. And what anime we did have was either heavily censored in order to put it on, uh, TV, because, oh my god, we can't show the gay to the children's Cousins. Cousins. They were cousins. They were roommates. (laughs) Oh my god, they were roommates. (laughs) So, the first time I watched it, I went to... We didn't have a GSA back then. We had Anime Club. Same thing. Basically the same thing. Yep, same thing. And I had a friend there, uh, Sonia, and we would go and, you know, we'd watch like Gundam Wing and all the other stuff and Sailor Moon. And one day she shows up and she has this VHS tape and she beelines to me because both people of color and she's like, yo, you have to see this. I'm like, okay. So I watched it and at the time we only really could get a hold of the uh, Student Council Saga. And it was hard dubbed, uh, not dubbed, it was hard subbed. So sometimes the words didn't match. We had no translations for the songs whatsoever. (laughs) It just sounded really cool and spooky. And um, it wasn't until later that we could get some of the Black Rose arc and then like the tail end of the Akio saga. So there was like chunks missing. So my first experience watching it, it was like, ah, it's woo. It's a bunch of woos. And I think those are lesbians. (laughs) And... (laughs) What the hell is this dude? And why are, I thought that was her friend. Are they possessed? What's this sword thing coming out of? No explanation. We completely missed the whole part where, like, they're dead and there's a ghost. We never got that last episode either, so we didn't get the big reveal about Anthe. Oh, man. Like, so much happens in that last episode. Yeah, got none of it. And the first time we really get to see Akio. We see him for the uh, the recap episode, you know, early on at the end of the student council saga. And then we don't see him again until he's basically being a rapist. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. what happened here? Ew, no, you have betrayed me. And I hate him ever since. Valid. <laughs> hate. Because he came, you know, brown guy, and he's cool, and he has a nice car, and then, oh. <laughs> Especially without context, yikes, that would hurt. Yeah. And also, you know, I was young, so I didn't get allegory, symbols, all this other stuff. So, I would, like, I literally took 
the show, literally. Like, I watched every other thing then, literally. You know what I mean? Like, symbolism, right over my head. So, fast forward later, I watched it again in my 30s, where I do understand all these things, and got to see the whole thing, and it was like, the first time an anime was on DVD, and we didn't have a descrambler, and all this, like, snowy fuzz stuff, and I actually could see the whole episode, it was amazing. The VHS tapes, man, that was, that was hardcore. <laughs> that was hardcore times. That was hardcore desperate times. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Very desperate. <laughs> the, the way that y'all talk about having to piece together anime from tapes found in shady ways here and there it always reminds me of like it's like listening to someone talk about having to piece together the tablets of um (laughs) gilgamesh or something (laughs) i watched my anime walking uphill both ways in the snow during nor'easter get off my lawn I mean, yeah, we've had people on here talk about, like, you take a DVD and you mail it off to this guy with, like, $10, (laughs) and he mails it back to you with, like, it's burned with the episodes that you want on it. No, that's back when we had those. VHS tapes. We would go to Walmart or Kmart or wherever, and we would buy blank VHS tapes. We would steal other people's VHS tapes, and we would put tape on them. Like, we would do anything to get these horrible, horrible VHS tapes. And with some sketchy website that looked broken as hell off GeoCities or Angel Fire with really bad graphics and the dancing gifts, and don't forget the MIDI. MIDI of the main song. (laughs) And you don't know if they're still open or not, so you would sit here and you would just, on a prayer, mail your tapes with like the return shipping on there with like a little handwritten note, like please give me initial D and sailor moon (laughs) and, you know, write uh, a tape it on long view, you know, long play. And you would pray that you would get these tapes back. And when you did, you were king of the school because you were like, I have the best non-degrade copy available right now. It will last a week after I make 20 more copies. (laughs) (laughs) And your friends would be like, I'll trade you this copy of this episode for that copy of that episode. And you'd be like, I don't trust you with my tape. You're going to tape all of them, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) God, that's so wild, like, though. This is a thing we did. <laughs> if it wasn't for piracy, you would have no anime. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, because uh, traditional distributors certainly weren't paying attention to it. Yeah, I don't want to get too stuck in, in this, like in this, but it's very real that, like, in a weird way, in a, in America and in Europe, anime fandom is a kind of folk culture. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. It works like folk music. It's ad hoc. It's put together from scraps. It's translated across dialect and language in ways that are haphazard but fascinating. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And then, like you know, I it like I feel really old right now. I'm only thirty seven. Ugh. But like, you know, I'll meet newer, younger anime fans and they'll be like 
oh, it's like the, the biggest struggle that they are complaining about is, I don't have enough money for this figure. I'm like, we didn't have a figure. <laughs> it cost 80 bucks to get a $2 poster. <laughs> you know, you just like, we didn't even have art books yet. So you would find like the best person who draws in your school and you would make them watch an episode and they would just kind of like eyeball it and try and draw it from memory. That's what we had. Wow. Like I was at Katsakon Four. Let's go. <laughs> really nice. Back when we still had Live Steel, and it was in like the Howard Johnson, the middle of the woods of Yorktown. So your experience overall was kind of like you came into Utena, and it was this fascinating thing that you were kind of piecing together, mm-hmm. and then you hit that moment, and just the betrayal feeling kind of puts you off of it until you come back as an adult, basically. Yeah, and I was like, not only was I just betrayed by all of that, but I'm an intersectional as fuck person. I'm also trans. So to have like this genderqueer character in Utna, who, by the way, I, you know, that's my fave. Again, watching it literally just gets slaughtered and all this just pain and devastation. And like the girlfriend stabs her in the back. I'm just like, no, like there will be no happiness after this. So it was traumatizing for me, especially not having the whole context. It is, it is kind of, it's kind of exhausting. Like, it's not a thing. That I like, I have not rewatched several of those episodes. It's hard. But watching them again later as an adult, it's like, oh, those, that oppression, that thing that was similar that I went through, you know, like the swords feeling like that moment when you become an adult and you actually feel the weight of the world hit you. And you're like, oh, shit, if I don't stand up and take care of myself and pay bills, I'm going to die. <laughs> and there's nobody to help me. You know, then it made way more sense. And now I'm obsessed with it. Yeah, I definitely get that. (laughs) Who would you say is your favorite character? I am a straight up Utna stan. I mean, it's it's good choice. She's good. Utna's great. We love her. She's our idiot daughter. (laughs) Heart of gold. Yep. She sure is. Has Utena always been your favorite character? Or have have you ever like gone back and forth on any other characters? Nope, it's been day one Utna. A very close second is Anthe. But that didn't develop until I became an adult and had, you know, trauma like everyone else. So then it's like, ah, oh, I feel that, but I want to be that. Yeah, Anthe takes a little bit of time, I think. She's sort of an acquired taste. Yeah. She's an adult beverage. I guess so. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of. Anthe was kind of like our mascot watched Utena and I think it may have to internet memes and all that stuff mm-hmm. because she is like internet like self-deprecating but like still I I will I will stab you I'm um, kind of yeah. oh my god Anthony him like personified as, she has the soul of a poster <laughs> As you can tell, <laughs> I just relate everything to memes, and that's how I do analysis. <laughs> that works. Don't forget to cite your sword. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so I guess we should get into our topic. Where do we want to begin? When we did this the first time around, Loki, you talked about um, specifically the idea of like Dios becoming Akio and how like you had a take on that. Do you remember how that went? Oh, the hot take? It was somewhat hot, but actually like once we kind of got what you were, were saying, like I actually thought it was pretty awesome. Oh, okay. Actually, does Perp want to go first? I mean, I already talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Go ahead. Yeah, I also remember this. 
we actually kind of agree on a lot of things uh, last time we recorded this. But the whole thing of the idea of that even though Dios was elevated to a higher position as a kind of prince, it was still in that kind of system that treated him like a um, kind of oppressed him and treated him like as a slave, really. And it got to the point where what society expected to him kind of pushed him over the edge. And so from there, we kind of have Akio, who in in a way is still in that system. Um, he, if we take him to be Dios, but like manifested in a different way um, as a, the same entity, he would still be somebody who is may be elevated in the system itself, but is actually as oppressed as the duelist and in a way may be more oppressed because he is a foreign entity, really. And every single time he tries to get power, it's not through anything of his own identity, but he's using the identity of other people. And so if we take the view of race, and, and especially Western race, that's something that we have to uh, acknowledge is that we're looking at this from a Western point of view, um, especially from how we deal with society. Um, but if we take that view, then we have Akio as a person who may look like he is elevated in society but he may be the biggest victim of them all so i think that was pretty much the gist of it yeah um the other thing when i meditate on it is akio is kind of like um if we're going with the slave analogy which totally he's kind of like the one who's now in the house he's gotten some privileges but at the end of the day he's still beholden to the system itself and instead of having those like high virtues anymore it embitters him so at least i'm above the ones outside is kind of a thing you know that i feel off of him um also a thing that makes me hate him i want to punch him in the face um <laughs> it creates a kind of hierarchy you, no, well when you have a system of oppression, I'm going to get a little historical here, in order to control a large mass of slaves, you have to break them up into groups. And if you have the subgroups managing the other groups, you know what I mean? Like, if you watch that guy and make sure that this field to this field is okay, I won't beat you tonight and I'll give you food. Yeah, it's the it's the divide and conquer tactic. If Exactly. So that guy... The poor can't fight you if they're all busy watching each other. Yeah. So it's kind of the same deal. It's Akio is now has a privilege, but he's not above the system. He's not over the system. He's not leaving the system. He's holding the system up. He's part of the system. He's now one of the manager slaves. And he kind of reenacts his issues, his trauma over and over again onto other people instead of dealing it within himself. I think the first time I, I I kind of wondered aloud if it was like um, prison trustees where they they do that actually in, in real in real prisons where they will actually have someone who is given these certain like privileges and in doing so get them to sort of a quote unquote their own volition kind of buy into the system that binds them. Correct. So with Akio, I feel like through the abuse of the system, he came to a point where he had to choose between being Dios and being Akio. And he chose to be Akio and to stay that way, to stay in the coffin. We all have heard the egg speech 
if the chick doesn't come out of the shell, it dies. Something, something. Et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. You know, Toga listens to it for an entire season. In that moment, he chooses to stay in the shell. He doesn't walk away from the system of being the prince and Dios. Instead, he allows himself to stay in there, be corrupted and rot like a dead chicken in a shell. Um, all of the characters have trauma and all of them are at that, not Akio because he already made his choice, but all of them are at that precipice moment where they choose break the shell i.e leave their surroundings leave the game leave the roles just leave it behind and live or stay in there and continue to degenerate and uh die in their shell you know like pick a duelist they're all messed up they all have a trauma and they all have that one thing that they're fixated on that if they don't get over it leave it behind it's gonna haunt them and make them sick the whole living corpse thing and with Anthe, like, you don't even really understand that the show is actually about her until the end of the show. You know, we keep seeing things through the lens of Utna, still love her. And then we hear all these side stories and we hear about Jiri and Mickey and all of them. But at the end of the day, all of them, save for Utna and then from that, Anthe continued to play in the system, continued to try and get their shining thing, continued to stay in the shell and not want to come out. Like, none of them resolved that issue until that happened. So, like, Anthe's a really strong number two. Barely in number two. Love her to death. But she gets to her precipice moment, and she did almost choose to stay in there with the whole backstabbing thing with Utna, but she stops playing the game. She walks away. Fuck you. Fuck this. Fuck that dress. Wearing pink. I'm out. <laughs> She is a queen. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Um. To talk about Akio, I think the quote, which thanks to um, Atari.inu, because you know what? Empty movement. Yeah, all your stuff from there. Yep. Um. The thing that really stood out to me, um, when looking at at this from a point of view of kind of being an oppressive system and being, I guess. I guess being in a position where you're trying to punch up and failing. Akio says, Without power, one finds himself merely depending on others to live. I've taken enough risks to buy the power to change the world. That's how the world works. And I think even without focusing on race, that's that's kind of like the kind of arc that Akio has, is that he never had power, and so... He realized that. That was when he realized it. Because also, I guess I'm kind of going on a little bit of a tangent here, but there's this whole thing where, you know, you have Dios, and as soon as he stops being a prince, that's when they attack him. So it's kind of like he's a puppet propped up. And you kind of have the same thing with Anthe, who in a way has to inhabit both the power and the hazards um, that come with the power of Dios. Um, where there's this kind of hyper-judgment, where as soon as you step out of line, then somebody's going to try and put you back into your place without really any consideration. Um, and so I think that generally, um, if we're talking about it from a race perspective, that was definitely something that kind of, that just kind of resonates. Whether it becomes really apparent or not, or not, there's this kind of feeling that you have for just being yourself is not enough. 
and that you have to push yourself to be above like a stereotype or above like this thing things that are should be considered normal things that shouldn't be used as judgment are used in a way that kind of mocks you Mm -hmm. and you just have to be careful well i guess not be careful about it but you have to be cognizant of it there are some things that if you're white you don't have to care about like playing into or something like that but if you're not then you have to be careful because if you falter, if for whatever reason you end up a failure, well, I guess you're playing into the stereotype now, and now you've become the problem. Wow, can see. So that is, uh, I I definitely see that with um one Akio. Akio's um is, well, he failed at a time, and then he, he now he's playing the game, and then you have Anthe who has put herself into a position where she is constantly othered and I guess that's part of being the rose bride is just being in that place where people are judging her for being herself so yeah yeah I mean if I mean we've always we've talked a lot about Utsuno over these two years as kind of being about lots of things but especially about yeah about how Utsun is about a lot of things, but it's especially about alienation from who, like, from your own experience and from the experiences of others, like, being that separation. That not being able to be just who you could be naturally or who you would want to be, but having to sort of constantly adjust yourself according to what other people want. Yeah, and the thing about that, especially in a racial context is if you're a person of color who's obvious, you don't have passing privilege, and you do something that, you know, you were trained to do, taught to do, hung around, observed your whole life, and you have somebody kind of, like, check you against a stereotype, you know? Like, case in point, I'm Afro-Latino, but I talk like this, my Spanish is crap, you know? So when people look at me, they're like, Oh, no, you're not Puerto Rican. Uh, Yes, I am. Yeah, well, do this, do that. Now I have to perform a stereotype to prove who I am to people. And these, you know, that's the norm of the society. It's unfortunately based off of them. So, of course, I'm going to talk like this. That's how that's going to happen. You know, this is what we're taught in school. If we were taught Spanish in school, we'd all speak Spanish. If we were taught Japanese, we'd all speak Japanese. Like, this is the norm. And you've codified it for you and then have us do it in order to be normal. But then we're somehow not who we are anymore as like a nationality. It's so dumb. But that's the thing that happens. It's like our with Anthe, it's like she's valuable as a thing, as an idea, as a role. But no one in the show other than Utna later, values her as the person, wants to know her opinion, wants to hear her stories, what her thoughts are, what her dreams are. Everyone fights for her as an object. No one fights for her. Mm -hmm. And you live as as that kind of, uh, that microaggression for a long time. Sometimes you'll have struggles where you don't know who you are. And you don't know if how you were raised was correct. And, hmm, maybe I should move back to Puerto Rico and take an immersion class and never come back. You know, like, these are thoughts you have. They're thoughts I've had. So, 
having somebody kind of like slam into your life and be like, oh, you don't, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, how can I help you? What the hell is that? Table flip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kind of like, I'm just, I'm kind of just digesting that, honestly. I'm, sorry. Sometimes I, I get I mean, No, no, no. No, no, no that's I'm great. Glad, actually. Like, I, I'm sorry. I really, cards on the table, I was kind of just thinking about uh, this conversation I've had a bunch of times with the idea of binary trans people and having to, f- this, this feeling like one has to be hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine or else or just kind of a vague formless or else yeah like it it has to be this way or there will be some kind of consequence that you're not you're kind of you never really specify because you don't you're you don't want to because it's kind of too makes you nervous well and it it also kind of happens like within that community too want to hear a quick story sure Uh, sure so what had happened was is (laughs) i was like 20 and i was lonely and i had just grown my first beard in in full and by in full i meant two patches under my chin and you know i wanted to do what normal 20 year olds do and find a date so where does trans people meet other trans people at support groups? <laughs> this was a bad idea. <laughs> but that's what happened. You know, you're just trying to make friends, but instead, like, you sit in a circle and talk about your traumas for an hour. So, yeah, there was this group of guys and they had this little group. This was in Portland, Oregon, by the way. And it was called Tromos or something. It was some kind of a smash up word of trans homos. And I'm like, OK, I'll go to this. We'll see what the haps. So I end up at this bar that the address is on. This is almost as dubious as VHS tape anime trading, by the way. Like, <laughs> hmm, this flyer says <laughs> I should go to this location. Wow, the past was really wild, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, how did I survive? <laughs> so I go to this, this nondescript place at the address, and I go in, and it is a straight bar <laughs> with, like, hetero people <laughs> And we're in this little dark corner in the back. (laughs) And I'm like, why are we here? So I get in there and I'm expecting this to be fun. It it was not fun. I got accused by one guy of performing my gender to society's expectations. And I'm like, "Uh, no, those are genuinely the things i like like oh no you you transition to get away from oppression like "Uh, no that's not a thing i did thank you and then this other person's like gender isn't real i'm like i'm a dude so you stop that right there that's good for you you don't have to attack me for it so things are getting a little uncomfortable i go to get a beer and there's this cute guy at the register and his name is sean and i'm like hello and he's like, hi, Loki. And I'm like, ooh, hello. And he's like, you're not queer enough for Portland. And just walked away. <clears throat> what? Apparently, I read as het normative or something, and it made all of them angry. And I don't know why. Like, I didn't say anything about binary people, non-binary people. Like, I literally came in and was like, I would like to drink a beer and eat pizza with you. <laughs> Anyone okay with this? You know, and that's this, this is why I don't go out I anymore, and I have a cat. Cats <laughs> yeah, are good. Cats are good. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of it's that kind of miserable thing where 
any anytime you have any group of people doing anything, they will inevitably subdivide to the smallest possible mm-hmm. like factions. Well, and I feel like they're just kind of still stuck in the system because it's like they know something's off, but they don't know what it is. And then they try this hat on and this hat on and this hat on, and they try to make that fit within the system that they're in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like you don't. Our system's kind of get us stuck yeah you get stuck and you don't really know if you win anywhere so it's like when you actually meet somebody who at least has that i guess it pisses people off i don't know it's like cool we're roller skates in a tutu i'm down <laughs> whatever i like flannel so let's see so i think we've talked about that what other kind of things that we have that we have talked about before that we haven't gone into this time wasn't there something about the eastern lens of racism Oh, oh, okay. I was going to talk a little bit about uh, Ryuku. Oh, yeah. In preparing for the this episode, Scarlett and I were kind of talking about it, and she brought up Samurai Champloo, which I've never watched. I, I've been meaning to, but I haven't gone around to it yet. Besides the fact that it's apparently amazing. It is very good. There is a character in it called Mugen, and Mugen, um, Mugen is a Ryukan. If you don't know what that is, Okinawa is probably the easiest way to sort of say people from there. It's from a couple other islands as well. And the people of the Ryukan Islands are not ethnically Japanese. They were originally their own kingdom, the Ryukan Kingdom, which was a kind of, it, it was really its own thing. And J- Japan conquered them fully sometime in around the 16th to 17th centuries um and they just kind of were a conquered people from then on mm. and um so they're puerto ricans there is a actually yeah it's a, actually a lot like it like you you joke but now that i think about it, it's perfect because originally ryuka ryuku was a technically a chinese tributary state and then it just switched sides and now it's a japanese tributary state mm-hmm. And so it kind of yeah that is a good parallel and there's been a there's a really long history of sort of discrimination and racist tension there like hundreds of years of it because the ryukans are different their language is different they look different they their culture is very different their religion it was different do the japanese throw toilet paper at them not that i know of no towels either okay and i we thought she she brought this up to me specifically because um the way that Mugen is drawn and the way the Ryukan characters are often drawn in anime is very similar to the way that Anthe, Anthe and Akio are drawn. Mm. And it's it's curious, like, I'm not sure that's what the, they were going for there, but it to me it was interesting as this sort of parallel. Because a lot of times when anime is looking for, a to make a character kind of other with a capital O, but they don't want to commit to a, com- a specific place, they will sometimes just make them Okinawan as a, like, you know, people who aren't us. Mm. Yeah. I think Chio Saito just really liked brown people. <laughs> yeah, this is something that- Oh, that that's true. Has come up in her oh, work yeah. before. Herbs, didn't you say that you had read some other manga that she, that, that also has this? Uh, yeah, it was Watswa Shiroi Dress Day or something like that. Pretty much the main character is Japanese, and it's, I think it's during some time where there is, I think, British occupation of Japan, and pretty much the love interest is Indian, and he was actually um, adopted into a British family, but he decides to fight against the British and there was this huge point that was that um, Chio Saito went out her way to mention her story about um, inter um, interracial marriage 
which I thought was really, really progressive, considering that, um, especially down here in the South, interracial marriage, like, my cousins still get, like, flack for being, like, half black and half white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, all that stuff. Me and Pans are in Mississippi, we... Mm-hmm. And, like, in <laughs> in Japan, like, also, they have their own issues with anti-non-Japanese racism of, like, pretty much any sort of like foreigners so taking a stance on uh interracial marriage from like a japanese person's uh not not what you would consider the norm is the impression that i've gotten yeah it was generally it, it seems like there's this whole kind of thing of downplay race um when it comes when it comes to like a commentary on it especially i mean uh, yeah definitely on shoujo besides the whole thing of being like oh it's um the love interest is from like france or something cool it's like blonde and like he speaks he's probably like half white or he's like half white half japanese but he looks really white so like it's really cool this kind of went a different route where now i gotta say that i haven't read the sequel which is magnolia waltz i've heard of magnolia which was mentioned Yeah, <laughs> by Wakaba. <laughs> so who knows? Maybe everything went downhill. But um, there is definitely a very big message that she put in there about interracial marriage being something that should be cherished and is a good thing. And so I think last time we were mentioning this, it was just the fact that Anthony and Dios were actually like Indian. I think it's more apparent that they're Indian coded in the movie with the whole bright thing in the middle of Anthony's forehead and like the long hair and all that stuff. But I think that I mean it may not have been chosen for like something specific, but it was definitely wasn't chosen out of I guess Gosh, I can't think of it, but, you know, just kind of, like, throwing it out there, like, well, let's have them be Indian. Sure, why not? I don't know. The impression that I've gotten from a lot of the, like, production materials is that it was, like, not necessarily, like, I don't know, it seems like it was, in some ways an arbitrary choice to make them Indian because like you see early drawings of both Akio and Anthe and they're like white with like different hair. Mm-hmm. Oh, I could, I could see it as being like, it's weird whenever we, th- something we talk about as being arbitrary is often like it's arbitrary, but there you can kind of see why the mind hits that point. Yeah. And I could kind of see yeah. them settling on Indian aesthetic, especially with Anthe, because of Akio and Anthe both tap into this kind of like this weird, like this idea of the boundary between human and divine being sort of shifty and porous. And like that's a kind of thing you get sometimes, especially in Indian theology and mythology. You get the hu- humans interact with the gods all the time. There's a porousness to the boundaries between these two and i i mean it makes kind of sense to me if i were if i if if i were in their shoes at that time and place i my mind might drift there as well yeah i i think the point is that it i don't think it was like kind of fetishistic Mm -hmm. Um, no i don't get that impression either i mean there's a lot that's (laughs) fetishistic about this but i don't think the i don't think Akio and Anthe being Indian is one of those things. I mean, yeah, because yeah, I've also read the whole thing with them coming to the point, like, there's no, like, 
specific meaning of them being Indian, but it's it's handled with a lot more respect than what I can say for other things that I've seen. Oh, absolutely. There are some horrible racial caricatures in anime. Do you feel that it kind of helps that, like, especially with the, the sort of asking, sort of the fetishistic angle, like, that literally everyone in this show is objectified except, I guess, kind of Mickey? <laughs> and also, no, actually, take it back, Mitsuru is not. Mm-hmm. There's a whole episode about him trying to figure out how sex works, so I can't say him. <laughs> oh, I hate that episode banana. so much. It's so uncomfortable. It's it gets so funny. <laughs> it's it was all the embarrassment and uncomfortableness of adolescence crammed into twenty minutes. Yep. <laughs> I I think my reaction when I saw that was, oh my gosh, you're actually acknowledging it. The characters are actually acknowledging the fact that it's so full of sexual innuendos. I know, it's great. <laughs> like, you know, at, at one point, you kind of expect them to turn and look at the tower, and it's just like, is that a giant dick? <laughs> Have we been going to a school that's a giant dick this whole time? <laughs> Wait till the crew episode comes out. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Jeez, I'm just. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm having to relive my nightmares of watching that episode forever. Like when we did that episode on air, I'm just squirming in my seat, super uncomfortable the whole time. Like, oh god, oh god. Mm-hmm. Like because I was just not expecting it to be like that. I just. It was so like. Oh, I don't know. It was probably worse because I was having to experience it for the first time. On air, live, being recorded. <laughs> That's fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm. That was when I realized because that was about the time we had first started thinking about maybe doing Yurikuma. I was like, "Oh God, doing Yurikuma live with these people is just gonna just <laughs> it's going to break." Uh, we're, we're gonna be doing Yurikuma with Gio and Yasha also. Oh my God! Oh, oh, fabulous. Oh no. I gotta listen to that. I'm gonna sip my tea. (laughs) That's gonna be uh, once we officially wrap up everything Utena that we have planned to talk about. Not that we are totally abandoning Utena at that point. We may still like come in from time to time and do Utena episodes, but we do intend to do Yuri Kuma after we do this, and that's gonna be fun. I I've never it. seen it. Easily, I haven't seen I'm it either. Even easily embarrassed, prude. I have seen it. Uh, it's going to be a wild ride. I'm very excited. Well, I mean, from what I hear, it has bears and lesbians. What else do you need? That's my two favorite things. <laughs> I love how many ways how you can take that so differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I wonder if that was the joke. I think so. Was that? But um. I ironically, Yurikuma is like that anime that I really push to have my IRL friends watch with me. (laughs) (laughs) I only got one, well, I almost had a few people to watch it with me, but I had one person watch it with me, but she was a TV tropes person, so she kind of just just predicted the entire I don't know that anything about the plot, but I'm excited to find out. Because when we did Utena, Alice didn't know anything about it, so now I'm going into Yurikuma not knowing anything about it. Okay. I'm going to spoil one thing, though. 
There are stairs. Okay. I'm that that yes. spoiler is acceptable. Okay. I'm glad to know that there will still be stairs. Yes, I was so excited about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, the stairs, they're still there. We have wandered wildly off topic. Next question. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Do you guys have any other broader points that you would like to make about race and anime in Western anime fandom in general? Because, I mean, this is this is an episode about Utena, but I don't want to limit the conversation just to Utena because, mm. like, Utena is a relatively small thing and there are other things that could be talked about with the wider Western anime fan community and how they deal with race. Mm. Or how they Or how they to. try not to deal with race. <laughs> I don't know if I want to open that can. I do. It's fine if you don't I want do. to. Yeah, I don't blame it. Okay. Alright, Loki, <laughs> give me the hot takes. Okay, here's the hot takes. So, Earlier we were talking about how the anime and the manga treat them like color isn't a thing, even though they are. And we were like, yes, they treated it very respectfully. There's a reason for that. And that reason is Nerma Daikon Brothers. (laughs) This anime is so bad. Every single person of color who shows up on this anime is like some turn of the century like monkey face thing like oh the whole sambo character thing going on and then and then there was the episode where i literally it broke my brain i could not wow the racism they did a imitation of michael jackson (laughs) oh it's so bad they had him look like some kind of jaundiced scarecrow (laughs) like zombie like it's so bad oof yeah, I've and never the heard lips, of this, just, and oh my probably God. for good reason. So yeah, when I see that, and then it's like, oh, here's Akio and Anthe. They're just there. Like, yes, that that looks normal. More normal. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, in the grand scheme of things, like, these are not what you would consider bad in terms of, like, portrayal and race. Because it could, I mean, like... Because it could, because it has been so much worse. I don't before. feel like they should get points just for not being like overtly racist. Because like I would like to hope for better of things, but at the same time, like Utena does get some credit for not being that. For not being DBZ with what was the name of that character? Um, Popo. Mr. Satan. No, uh, no, Mr. Popo. Mr. Yeah. Mr. Satan. <laughs> Mr. Satan is a character. <laughs> I know. It just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> I know. It's just, it is legitimately like really funny. It's, I feel like that was, that was a joke that worked a lot better in America than it did in Japan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it is like it is kind of impressive that Utena tends to be so nonchalant about race, considering that like two of its main characters are characters that have dark skin, and also like there's an entire episode where Naname goes to India, I guess? Question mark. <laughs> And gets, like, curry spices and it manages to, like, not be racist the entire time. I mean, your mileage may vary when it comes to at the end where Naname clearly has a very dark tan now. But, like, other than that, that's not even that bad in the grand scheme of things. Yep, pretty much. 
it's impressive for an anime in the 90s. Well, and also in the 90s, that's like kind of what I, I can't speak for perps, but that's kind of what I wanted. Like, oh, hello, POC. I'm just a person. We're just going to treat you like a person. Not ignoring it, not acknowledging it. It's just there and it's normal. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the standards for anime is pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of, it's, it's, it's kind of like sad, but at the same time, it's, I mean, like you got to realize that one, it's, oh gosh, no, I'm not going to get that, actually. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> No, 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 no. That that's outside my jurisdiction. But just like from a Western perspective, just to have somebody treat like for for um for reference, I mentioned this last time. Um, I should probably stop saying that. But um, last time I mentioned that there is this manga that I read that was published in twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen, and we still have those like weird. Um, stereotypes with like the um, with like savage people mm -hmm. on like islands and all that stuff. Stereotypes die really hard, probably because there isn't a lot of like people of color in Japan, and it's a very homogenous na homogenous nation who have had a history of being pretty on themselves when it comes to judging in history and all that stuff. Uh, I'm specifically pointing towards World War II, but just having this society where we're kind of like at the beginning of things, um, especially when it comes to looking at things critically, um, just having something that treats a character like a normal person and not stereotype them or push them to be that, like, gag, or draw them in a way that just makes them look utterly weird. Especially put, um, something that you can see when anime is a style that really doesn't encourage a lot of, like, differences between characters. And then you have, like, all these characters that look, are in this narrow view of what looks human. And then you have this other character that just looks crazy all of a sudden. Um, like, that's just something that really point... Like, it, you notice that. <laughs> you definitely notice that. Especially when they um, sometimes employ the same tropes that they have for characters that are, like, supposed to be dumb or stupid or something like that. Um, but, like, just having a character that just looks, um, I guess, normal... I don't want to say normal because, like, that has some weird connotations to it. But, like, just having a character that doesn't look um, out of the norm, who acts and is treated like a actual character in a story, isn't a doesn't play into a stereotype. I mean, like, I'm trying not to be like too harsh on that, but like, if you, the only character that you have, like, in this other comic. <laughs> the only character that you have that has dark skin is the person that ended up robbing the main character. I think you may have an issue there. So like just yeah, just treating them like characters that would that's really all I asked for, especially when this is Japan. I mean, like this could be a completely different conversation if we were talking about western media, but this is Japan. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like our 
standards are relatively low. Yeah, and so knowing that and seeing Akio and Anthe like actually be characters with like depth and a backstory and you know not a side character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the, the the heart of the thing. You can't have the story without both. Yeah, of them. you know that's amazing, especially for like ninety two. What would you guys say to the like it to a criticism of the show that it kind of sucks that the two the only two characters with dark skin are also like two of the more villainous characters on the show? Not like not necessarily taking that position, but I've seen people make that at least like minor complaint about the show, not necessarily saying that that means that it's like, you know, revolutionary girl Utena is canceled. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, like that's I, that is something that I've seen people make note of. They're all on the same path really like all of the characters are on the same path to being like completely fucked up and fucking like everybody else over it's just that they have been they're at an advanced stage and to be honest that could be because that they're different it could also be because they've been in the game longer i think the thing with akio and anthe being dark-skinned and kind of being more evil is kind of like I don't know it's like all of the characters are fucked up and like it really does play into like in the narrative like in a pretty good way that gosh it's kind of hard to say but I really do believe that all of the characters have the potential to be as fucked up as Anthony and Aggie. Oh, agreed. and yeah, so the fact that they're, like, the people who are, like, the villains really isn't much that I'd really hold against them, really. Yeah, if you shift the lens to any of the other couples, they're still equally villainous at the same time. Like, if you solely listen to Jury's story, you got a villain in there. If you solely listen to the whole, like, Cosway Mickey thing, one of them definitely is more active than the other. So it, it really just depends on who the story is focused on, and we low-key have been focused on Anthe the whole series. You just don't realize it till the end. Yeah. It's weird. It's it, it's weird kind of how, like, even though it's Revolutionary Girl Utsuna, in a lot of ways it is... Anthe's story. Yes! Mm-hmm. It's just weird to me. Like, I've never really thought of it the sort of disconnect there between name and form, but yeah. I mean, she's the one that walks out at the end. Yep. Yeah, like, of all the people to have an on-screen... Well, I, I can kind of argue that Toga kind of has an on-screen um, thing. But to of all the people to have an on-screen character arc resolution, Anthe really is the only... Like, Utena... She has a kind of revelation, but like she's still the same person. Um, all of the duelists have a kind of revelation. It's it's, but in the end, we don't see them really change and kind of take themselves out of the situation. Really, um, but with Anthe, you have somebody who actually like removes herself from the situation, and like she is the one who's in that like in credit scene. Like, she's, like, one of the last people that you see because she's walking and she's revolutionized her world. So, yeah, she is 
there's definitely an emphasis on that. And I kind of like the movie um, because the movie puts more of an emphasis on how this is about Anthony and how she changes. Which Anthony is pretty great. Glad okay, see. Huh? Clearly it's true. <laughs> I think we might be dried up. If you guys, unless you guys have something. Yeah, do you, do you guys have anything that you want to talk about before we wrap up? Just that this is, this anime is the biggest piece of art I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, I obviously I've been around a while. I've seen a lot of anime. This is the one I come back to every day. Truly magnificent. Yo. Purple, any closing thoughts? Oh, uh, yeah, just the same thing. Ten is something that I come back to. Um, there's a lot to think about these characters. There's a lot of ways to look at the characters and how like they interact and you know just different worldviews like feminist, how we looked at it through race, like a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm learning a whole bunch of stuff because of Utena. It definitely was my introduction to like analysis and all that stuff and looking into stuff. So it's a very fun show. It can be really stupid, but in the end, it has a lot to offer. So. That's beautiful. That's a great place for us to end. If you would like to follow yeah, us excellent. on Twitter, you can do that at UtenaCast. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Impandanata. If you'd like to check out other things I do in the world of podcasting, you can check out The Fresh Podcast Market, a real podcast about fake podcasts, or Puella Magi Modica Magicast, a podcast about Puella Magi Modica Magica that I edit. Alice, where can people find you online? People can find me online at on Twitter at L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. That's Lyrewolf. And don't you have a, a Kofi? I do have a Kofi. Um, or a coffee, or however we've decided collectively to say that. I do writing commissions and can help look at anything that you've written. Just when I say anything, I mean anything. My prices are pretty reasonable and... I'd like to work pretty closely with people when I do any either editing or pre-writing. So hit me up if you need help. And uh, Purple, where can people find you online should you wish to be found? I'm on Twitter at GraysonLife with two eyes because of a typo. And you can also find me on YouTube where I edit AMVs with Purple's AMVs and stuff. Um, kind of behind on Sarah's on my but I, um, AMVs, but I will continue to be editing them. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, Loki, where can people find you online should you wish to be found? Should you not wish to be found, <laughs> you can, uh, promote anything of your choosing. I'm not that mysterious. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Loki Madmonk, and you can find me on the Empty Movement Discord as Friar Loki. Alright, if you'd like to follow us on Tumblr, we are at imagineandutina.tumblr.com and we are a Patreon-supported podcast. We have some new patrons that we need to thank. Alice, do you have your list up? I do. Alright, um, there's a handful of you here. I don't know, I think we may have mentioned a couple of these on the show before, but Patreon has made it sort of difficult to locate where your newest patrons are, so I kind of had to just go back through my email, and if I've thanked you before, hey, you get a bonus thank you. Uh, so, uh, thank you, Cat Cross. Thank you, Oscar Gao. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you, Jade Maria. 
And thank you, Janae. Jan- Janae, like Renee. Just, just totally flubbed. Janae was strange. Thank you just for your support, guys. We really appreciate it. You uh, help keep the train going on down the tracks. And um, that's all our things, I think. Um, Alice, am I forgetting anything? I think that's it. Yep. Thank you guys for joining me tonight for this conversation. It was lovely to talk to both of you. Revolutionize the world, everybody. See you later. Woo!